time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, <clears throat> for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, it is certainly a pleasure to be with you today. Glad that you could come out, especially if you're visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here with us, and we, we look forward to your coming back and visiting with us again at some point in the future. Today we want to ask the question, what is a saving faith? What is a saving faith? One of the greatest differences that I believe, that I think I have determined, in the uh, religious world is the aspect of what faith has to do or what role does faith play in our salvation. Almost all religious organizations have a differing view on exactly what that role is, exactly what is the faith that we need in order to be saved. Now the faith under consideration this morning is our personal faith, not the gospel system of faith, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few moments. But we're talking about my personal or our personal belief system. What part does that play in my being able to gain salvation? Well, much in the same way that a doctor will prescribe specific medications to address specific issues, the great physician has declared and has presented to us very specific things regarding our salvation and, and how faith plays a part in that. Now, as time has continued throughout the years, different doctrines have been created and espoused, and it has altered the way that people in general view this idea of faith. During the time of the apostles, the Gnostics, those who said they were all-knowing, they had all the answers. And later on, origin, they taught knowledge or facts of information was needed greater than faith. Later on, the stoic beliefs concerning self-reliance caused people to lose confidence in the fact that God is our source of salvation. In his teachings, the philosopher Plato took away all personal responsibility when it came to faith because of his uh, mystical approach to God. And Martin Luther, one of the Reformation leaders, uh, he further supported that notion by declaring that the book of James was not an inspired document. So he took the book of James completely out of the Bible and cast it aside. Therefore, because of all of that and on down through the years, faith came to be understood by a majority of the people as a mere mental assent. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that God exists. And the mere mental assent of that 
was the personal faith that we need to have. Now I want us to look at some aspects of this saving faith taught in the Bible. And again, I never want anyone to take my word for anything. Our souls are too important. Compare what you hear to what the Bible says. And if I'm wrong, I want to be told about it. I want to understand the Bible in the way it should be understood because I want to get to heaven and I want to be there with you. I want us to notice first, this is our first point, a saving faith must consist of first, information. Information. We have to be told something. Paul pointed to the necessary facts regarding uh, gaining personal faith from the gospel system of faith. Now notice what he said, Romans ten seventeen. We all know this verse probably by heart. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now we see two different kinds of faiths in this statement. Our personal faith brought about by the gospel system of faith. How do we gain faith? By hearing the Word of God. God presented a system of faith through which we study it and we learn it and we understand how to become Christians. When Paul later in his letter talked about from faith to faith, he didn't talk about the old law to the new law. He talked about the system of faith producing our personal faith. And of course, we're talking about personal faith this morning. Paul said... Or later, uh, the writer of Hebrews exclaimed this, Hebrews 11 verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. Without our personal faith, right? Whether we have a personal faith or not, God has given us the system of faith. So without our personal faith, we could say, it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. So Paul said we had to hear and learn something. The writer of Hebrews told us what that is. That God is who He said He was. That we have to have faith in Him. That He keeps His promises and that we must diligently seek Him. So when we look at this idea of personal faith, this statement of diligently seeking Him indicates we have to do something. That goes outside of this common belief of a mental ascent that I believe there is a God in the world. It has to be something else involved in that. Because God is God and He cannot lie. Paul told Titus that, Titus 1, 1 through 2. If He can't lie, it stands to reason that we must believe what He says. And we must believe in the system He has set forth. And in that system, when we listen to it and we hear it, and we believe it, it produces within the person this personal faith. But it has to go beyond a mental ascent. Facts have never been enough, right? We can understand that the doctor tells me I have something wrong. That's a fact. That's information. I have to have information. I have to have facts in order to be healed from the malady of which he has determined I have. But facts alone, information alone, cannot help me. It must take form in my life. The information must go from facts 
to taking form in my life. Meaning, I gain the information and I act on it. Right? It has to be seen in my life. The doctor says, take this prescription. Without that prescription, I can't be healed. I can't be saved, right? So it stands to reason the same thing happens with understanding God's system of salvation, His system of faith. He has presented it, and it must take form in my life. Well, someone says, well, you've dismissed grace. You've dismissed the mercy of God. You've dismissed all that Jesus went through in order to extend to me grace. No, absolutely not. We honor all that God has done. We honor the fact that He loved us so much that from eternity, Ephesians 3 verse 11, He wanted to save mankind. We honor the fact that He determined to send the Word, God the Word, and took upon Himself the form of a man and He lived among men. And He did something that none of us could do. We honor that. But we also honor the fact that Jesus coming to earth did something, didn't He? Did Jesus have faith that the God of heaven would fulfill His promises? Yes, He did. He understood that what the Father said was truth. And that He would do what He said He would do. But did Jesus have to have more than a mental assent? Did He have to do something? Sure He did. He went suffered in this life, nailed to a cross, gave His life much more than a mental ascent. So I honor that understanding that if He had to do that, why is it that I have to do less? I just recognize that He did that. There has to be something else, right? It has to take form in my life. The writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 5 verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. He did something. He performed works. Not man-made works. Heavenly works. Godly works. So why do we want to take away our personal responsibilities when it comes to our salvation? The whole of the Bible is full. Personal responsibility. Adam and Eve in the garden had a personal responsibility to be faithful. They failed. Cain had a personal responsibility to be faithful and he failed. The world had a personal responsibility to be faithful in the day of Noah and it failed. Noah had a personal responsibility to be faithful and when he got off of the ark he got drunk and sinned. He failed. We all will fail and have failed So what do I do? I just simply say I have a mental ascent and God takes care of all of that? No, there's personal responsibility. Noah had to repent. Cain had to repent. He didn't as far as we know. Adam and Eve repented, lived faithfully toward God. There are things that must take form in our lives beyond simply acknowledging there is a God in the world. He has things that we must do. So if saving faith goes beyond information. There are facts. It has to take form in my life, but it goes beyond information. We must also have, and this is our second point, affirmation. Information, affirmation. We have to conclude something. I hear the information. 
I listen to it. I must conclude that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I'm on my way. Notice what he said, John 8 verse 24. He said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. We have to do something. Do you recall when someone asked Jesus, how do I work the works of God? He says, to believe on Him who He has sent. That's a work. Belief is a work. But it's a work of God. So that's one aspect that we must have. Prior to that, Jesus said that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have, ever, but, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, and we all know this passage, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. Not could not. Not will not. Should not. So that indicates that my faith can bring eternal life to me but it has to be a certain kind of a faith and then I should not perish to believe in something means we affirm what it teaches right we stand by it we stand on it Jesus never intended throughout any of his teachings that we simply need to affirm that he is who he is he always indicated we had to do something to access his salvation notice what he told those who wanted to be saved. He said, deny himself, deny yourselves, and take up his cross and follow me. What does that indicate, Mark 8, 34? We deny ourselves, we have to do something. We have to take up our cross, we have to follow Christ. That goes beyond a mental ascent. And we cannot deny that that requires something on our part. Therefore, faith, after we conclude that Jesus is who He said He was, faith must be composed of something outside of simply recognizing Christ as Lord. How do we know that? We need to ask that question. Anytime someone tells us something, we need to say, prove that to me. How do I know that? Well, fortunately for us, we have preserved for us examples of those who presented a saving faith in those who did not present a saving faith. During his defense before the king, Paul made a statement, Acts 26, beginning with verse 25. He said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth in soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul had been thrown in prison. Festus was trying to get a bribe from him and had kept him there. Finally, he brought him before Agrippa. Festus, talking to the king, in essence said, this man is crazy. He's talking about all of these things. He's not in his right mind. Paul says, I'm not mad. What I say is the truth. These things weren't done in secret. And then he turns to Agrippa and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe? I know you believe. 
But what did Agrippa do? He confessed and admitted that he was not a Christian. He admitted that he was almost persuaded to be a Christian by the truths that Paul taught, but he just couldn't bring himself to do it. He knew the prophets. He knew what they taught. He believed those things. The prophets pointing toward Christ. But Agrippa had a faith, understanding those things were true, but he didn't have a saving faith. There was something missing. We have a case here of information without affirmation. You have to have both. We have to have both. James spoke about the very faith that Agrippa presented. Notice what he said in James 2, beginning with verse 17. In his letter he said, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now James isn't teaching a works-only salvation. He's not teaching a faith-only salvation. He's teaching a saving faith salvation through obedient works of God. We have to do something. In both cases, information, King Agrippa, and affirmation was all that we had. That's all that Agrippa had. That's all James said. The devils also, the demons, those departed spirits of evil men who reside in torments even unto this day, understand Jesus is Lord. They understand there is a God in heaven. They have faith. But it's not a saving faith. Because they did not do those things necessary in this life to be saved. Now there are those in the world who will twist the Scripture to accommodate this idea of faith only. Well, it's not in there. They need to investigate their doctrine just a little bit closer. They need to look at what God teaches with an open mind. Now, according to them, conversion happens immediately once we believe. Is that true? Didn't happen in the case of Agrippa, did it? What about those chief rulers, John 12, verse 42? What about them? When they believed on Jesus, were they immediately converted? Saved? Well, let's see what John wrote for us. He said, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on Him, speaking of Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They had belief, but did they have affirmation? They wouldn't confess. They didn't want anyone to know they believed. Why? Well, they'll, we'll lose our prominent position. They'll kick us out of the synagogue. I won't have this position of power and authority any longer. So will faith alone get me to heaven? Well, I have to have it. But it's not a saving faith when that's all it is. John made the point that something beyond information and affirmation is needed for a faith to be a saving faith. So what is a saving faith? Let's ask the question. We better understand it. What is a saving faith? A saving faith has to have information. 
It has to have affirmation. And this is our third and final point. It must have determination. We have to have determination. According to the examples we've read, right? The believer must determine to rely on God. Not the preacher. Not the elder. Not the priest. Not whatever kind of a religious authority there is in the world. We cannot rely on that person. We have to determine to rely on the teaching of God and dismiss everything else. Paul accepted Christ as his source of salvation, didn't he? He wrote to Timothy. Notice what he said. 1 Timothy 1.16 Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ must show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. There is a pattern of salvation. A lot of the world does not realize that the nation of Islam, the Muslim religion, they claim a belief in the God of Abraham. We claim a belief in the God of Abraham, don't we? So what is their difference? Is there a difference in Islam and Christianity? Well, there's a huge difference, isn't there? There are many, many reasons why Islam is a doctrine of the devil. But one of the main reasons is they do not rely upon Christ as Lord and Savior. Oh, they'll recognize Him as a prophet, but not the Son of God, not the Word who became flesh, not the One who's reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven as we speak, Acts chapter 2. They don't believe that. And that makes their faith a soul-stealing faith. It's not a saving faith. Paul acknowledged the great prophet from God, the one Moses spoke about as the Christ. We remember, we read the account, Saul on the way to Damascus, he's looking for Christians, he wants to throw them in prison, he wants to have them killed just like Stephen was killed. And on his trip, on his way, on that road, Christ appeared to him. Shining light. Paul was blinded, or Saul at that time was blinded, and Jesus spoke to him and he asked him a question. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Now who had Paul been persecuting, or Saul? The church had been killing Christians, right? Because he didn't acknowledge, he didn't affirm, he didn't rely on Christ at that time as salvation. He was a practicing Jew. That religion had been set aside, it had been fulfilled. It ushered in the Christian age, but Paul failed to realize that. So he goes down into Damascus because Jesus said, go into the city, there it will be told you what you need to do. God appeared to, or spoke to Ananias. He said, there's a man, he's praying, been praying for three days, Acts chapter 9. He's fasting. Go speak to him, Saul of Tarsus. Ananias was afraid. You remember, he said, isn't this the Saul of Tarsus who's been murdering everyone? He said, go in and preach the gospel to him. We get over to Acts chapter 22. There are three accounts recorded of this instance. 
He goes in, he preaches the gospel to him, he says, verse 16, Saul, Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins. Did Saul of Tarsus have a faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, he did. He was praying, asking for forgiveness for three days, wouldn't even eat. He had information and affirmation, but he didn't have dedication yet, did he? He hadn't dedicated himself. Ananias said, get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away. Baptism is necessary for salvation. Paul and Peter both quoted from Isaiah. Isaiah 28 verse 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. First Peter 2 6 is where Peter quotes it. Romans 9.33 is where Paul quotes it. If we believe, but what does that mean? There must be something besides information and affirmation. We better have some determination, right? Peter explained Christ's role in our salvation. Read with me Acts 4 beginning with verse 10. Luke recorded, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole, the man who was born uh, lame. This is, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That mirrors the very statement Paul made in our passage. Christ went to the cross, He gave Himself, He died, and how can I expect a mere assent that He did that to get me to heaven? When it is clearly stated, I have to do something to get there. We must react to His authority. I can't just rely on it. I have to react. There has to be something, right? God desires a certain reaction to His commandments. Paul talked about Abraham's faith, didn't he? We remember that. Romans 4, 1 through 5 talked about Abraham believing in God and it was counted unto him as righteousness and because of the things that he did, he stood justified in the sight of God. We go back to to, uh, Genesis and Moses talked about that same thing. He recorded that history, Genesis 12. Verses 1 through 4 about how God appeared to Abraham and he told him to go and leave his homeland, Ur of the Chaldeans. Did he believe in God? Yes. He was the only one there who believed in God. But what if he hadn't have left? Would a mere ascent have saved his soul? No, he had to do something. He had to get up and leave. We have to react we have to do the things God has asked us to do. It wasn't that Abraham had previously been such a stellar individual. I'm sure he had some deficiencies in his life, but he simply acknowledged what God wanted him to do and he was determined to react to it. Oh, he slipped up along the way, but he did those things that was necessary. Abraham certainly believed in God, but what kind of a belief? It was an obedient faith and that's the faith that saves you know unbelief and disobedience are the same things 
talked about in the Bible as unbelief and disobedience being the same thing. So, when we look in John 3.16, He that believeth should not perish. Well, what does it mean to believe? Does it mean a simple ascent or does it mean obedience? Well, unbelief and disobedience is the same thing. Read with me. Hebrews 3, verses 18 through 19. The writer of Hebrews says, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? He is talking about when they stood at the cusp of going into the promised land. But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Again, he's talking about those Israelites who would not take the promised land, who would not go in and drive out the heathen nations. Now let's go back to Numbers 13. Let's read it as it happened. Romans, uh, Numbers 13 beginning with verse 32. Moses sent out twelve spies. Ten of them came back with a bad report. And they brought an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. If one does not do the things that God asked him to do, he is an unbeliever. Did these Israelites believe in a God of heaven? Well, they'd been on a trek for the last two years to get to the promised land. Yes, they believed. But they would not go in and take the land as commanded and God said they were unbelievers. A mere mental assent does not make us believers. If we do not do what God asks, we will not receive the grace that He offers. Again, notice what Paul said about Abraham. His faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 4 or 5. What kind of faith? A faith where he loaded up his family and he did what God asked him to do. It's an obedient faith. It's a faith that saves. There's no doubt that faith saves. Without it, we cannot be saved. But if our faith lacks any aspect of what God calls a saving faith, we won't be saved. That conclusion is not going to be drawn from the doctrines created by people. But it is the conclusion that the Holy Spirit has left for us. We need to read it for ourselves. It was taught in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have to have something. So we ask today, what is a saving faith? What is a faith that saves? We need that answer, don't we? If we've come to the point in our lives where we believe the gospel system of faith, that we believe it came from God, that Jesus brought it with Him, that He disseminated that to the apostles and they to the rest of the world. If we have that faith brought about by the study of the system of faith, and that causes us to repent of past sins, to want to turn our lives toward God, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, not like those chief priests who wouldn't do it, but confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, going down into the water to be immersed having our sins washed away like Saul of Tarsus did, and then living a faithful life just like Paul would go on to do. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6-8. through 
then yes, I have a saving faith. Without any of those aspects, with any of them being taken out, my faith is not a saving faith. We have to continue in what God has given us. We have to have information, affirmation, and determination. And we learn that through the inspired Word left for us. If you haven't done that today, if you haven't followed those steps provided by the Holy Spirit, do that. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with God. If you have and you've become unfaithful, God has made provision for that. Confession of sin, repentance of those sins, and prayer asking God to forgive us once you have become a Christian. Now, we may have to do that publicly or privately. That depends on the sin, right? But if you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, do that as we stand and as we sing.